changed. So I can't wait to discuss this, actually. John Grisham's <laughs> place in the cultural landscape in of the, the Pantheon. 90s. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Welcome to Box Office <laughs> Bylines, a podcast about movies, about journalism, from Ace in the Hole to Zodiac and almost famous to Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Uh, I am Jacob Boone, a journalist in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, joined as always by... Tara Thorne in Halifax, Nova Scotia, recovering journalist at this point. Oh, don't say that. I don't know if, I don't know if having the, the tideline counts as journalism. Well, you're writing a book. Yeah, you made a movie. that's my that's just long tweets. Okay, the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. There's no reportage. Can I ask you this, that. Tara? Have you ever yes. thought in your journalism career about as a backup plan law school? No. No. I don't know. It's so expensive. Okay. But you know, there's certainly a cottage industry made out of law schools. And there's a lot of sk- similar skills in. Researching, going through paperwork, finding people. That's right. Making calls. Making calls. calls. Lots of exploding cars. <laughs> As in this week's movie from 1993, The Pelican Brief, written and directed by Alan J. Pakala. Still don't the know late. if I'm saying that right. <laughs> All the President's Men, The Parallax View. Yeah, this was his last, I think his last movie. No, not his last. His last was um, that one with Brad Pitt, Devil's Own. Oh, that That voice you hear is our (laughs) special guest this week, a writer in Toronto who's contributed to Harper's, Vanity Fair, the LA Review of Books, and other publications. Uh, She recently wrote for The Defector about Collective, one of our favorite journalism movies that we talked about last year. The Ruinous Collective. The Maggots. (laughs) All I can think about is The Maggots. (laughs) Every time I think about that movie. (laughs) Soraya Roberts. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Do you like journalism movies? I, yeah, I mean, what journalist doesn't love journalism movies? They're so much fun and they're so bad most of the time. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that a lot. There, there's a few. That for every spotlight, there's 10, uh, you know, whatever. He said, she said. This? Yeah. This one we're doing. I also <laughs> noticed, like, in this one um, that there were shots that were, like, I'm like, oh, he just totally lifted this from all the president's men, like stuff with a right. notepad and like certain <laughs> angles. And I mean, obviously, it's the same director, but it was also just funny that he was using the same process, kind of. He w- definitely. It it definitely felt like he was on autopilot <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> yeah, it was also crazy that um, in my memory, um, uh, Denzel Washington I mean it's confusing because you think that the journalist is like there from the start he doesn't come until like an hour Late in, yeah. an hour and they don't meet until much he, after that yeah yeah and but he is there like the very very first scene right he's with mm-hmm. Rosenberg and then he's gone <laughs> and then he kind of like flips in and out also I have a question that was bugging me this whole time two things one how do people just like know his phone number all over the place like people just keep calling his his home phone and his work phone and i'm like this is an internet times are they just mm-hmm. are they just Yellow calling pages I, yeah I level guess, government yeah i guess they're going in, they're not going to the yellow pages they're going to the white pages yeah uh i don't know how old you are but, um yeah white pages and and the other thing is he's wearing a suit the whole time which made yeah. me up 
He's a fancy journalist. Except like, for the one scene doing? where he's in his like jogging sweats, his short shorts. No, he's in his Howard University yeah. sweater, which I oh, liked yes. that detail. Um, <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't seen this, uh, based on the John Grisham novel, very much legal thriller, Julia Roberts as the law student who gets embroiled in a political conspiracy involving two Supreme Court justices who are assassinated by Stanley Tucci in a series of ridiculous wigs and costumes. Uh, he looks and so she... sexy in this movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's a good murderer. <laughs> Teams up with Denzel Washington, this crusading investigative journalist. Um, Soraya, you chose this movie. Why did you want to talk about it? It is... Why did I want to talk about it? Um... Yes, defend yourself. <laughs> uh why did I choose it? Okay, well, I looked at the list, and um, there were a lot of movies that you'd already covered, so like that kind of whittled it down a little bit. <laughs> um, and this one has always been kind of just a general favorite, not just a journalism favorite, just a movie that I watch a lot. Uh, I have very strange reasons for rewatching certain movies. This one, I don't know. I really like New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, like that um, it's kind of, uh, I like the journalism movies that, I do like the ones that are like really like shoe leather, like in the office and stuff like Spotlight, but I also really like the ones that are basically action movies and they're like, no journalist is actually <laughs> like this, which this kind, this one kind of is. I, I also, upon rewatch, was just like, why is she putting herself in this position? Because... There's this moment where um, I know Denzel Washington says, you know, uh, if you disappear, there's no justice. He says some like line like that. And then she's like, OK, cool. I'll, I'll come and like put my life at risk. I'm like, you like, why? She she basically is just there to be like the woman role kind of to to get them files and to flirt with that. I don't know, the guy in the hospital and stuff like that. So I, I didn't you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Also, it cracked me up when her byline was second on the story <laughs> and she was like oh thank you so i'm nice. like excuse me she broke the story <laughs> yeah i thought it was not a little odd too because presumably she's the main source yeah of that but she's involved in i don't know whatever the journalism is a is very much feels like john grisham knows a lot about the legal profession and not as much about how newspapers are made. Yeah. Um, did, did you guys know that he was like that Denzel Lock? Okay. So I, it was actually really hard to find. I just did like a Google, Google, because I was trying to find like interviews with Denzel Washington for it, because obviously he's the one that we're mostly focused on. And it's like just wall to wall Julia Roberts, wall to wall, like, why don't they kiss? And um, I know why they don't kiss. I wonder if Jacob's going to talk about it in his trivia. We can talk about it now. <laughs> There's like two, but I saw two reasons. Mm -hmm. Like okay. one is the less flattering. Anyway, um, and then there's also like the stuff about race. Um, yeah. And so I kind of had to like delve into some sort of archival stuff. And I did find a couple interviews where, you know, he talked about, um, okay, so there's this one quote from him where he goes, um, so apparently he he spent several days in the newsroom of, of the Washington Post, which I think was the original 
newspaper. It wasn't the Herald. They just changed it for the movie um, with Bob Woodward. And so this is a quote. I learned a lot from Woodward. He told me how truth sometimes comes out of silence. He said a reporter has to know when to shut up. He explained how a reporter must never get emotionally involved with the source. Which cracked me up, but because the whole movie is kind yes. of... <laughs> about that but yeah i didn't realize that uh pacula which is how i'm gonna say his last name i don't know if that's how you say it um but he called it like the bob woodward journalism school for actors so he he basically has like i guess woodward is his like go-to guy for how nice for him (laughs) wow yeah we're gonna send you over with bob oh bob woodward yeah sure okay our favorite (laughs) of the president's men duo it's true bernstein (laughs) not great Um, well, I think, I think that, I mean, it's hard to, something I found watching this movie is that it's hard to remember from 1993, which is when I was in high school, um, how famous Julia Roberts was then, which was like through the roof and how John Grisham movies were like their own genre. Oh God. Yeah. And, and I, there was one every six months (laughs) and I thought this was a good movie when I saw it. They were like the Marvel movies of the 90s. Yes, exactly. All the big stars of the day. Sandra Bullock, Tommy Lee Jones, whoever. Um, And they're so long. They're so long. Yes, they're so long. There's so many pointless things. Two hours and like 40 minutes. 220? Yeah, I didn't like, I was mad about, yeah, when I saw it, I had to watch it in two goes. Um, And yeah, so it's, it's, it's like I have a memory of these movies being good. And I did not like the Pelican Brief this time around. Oh. I thought it was very long and, uh, well, very long. But, I, and, and again, like the whole like keeping them apart for most of the movie. Um, and it was just sort of ridiculous. And actually, actually what turned me off was the credits have like 25 men. <laughs> 25 men and then it's like Julia Roberts obviously and then like Cynthia Nixon who has four lines yeah, yeah. and I'm just friend. like yeah I'm like this does not bode well <laughs> for what this movie's gonna be and then I had forgotten or you know when I saw it I wasn't as angry as I am now about that this whole thing started because she was like having an affair with her professor and there's a whole scene where it's like how young is she <laughs> and he's like 24 like whatever she's really smart <laughs> No, oh, she's ma- she's mature. Yeah, <laughs> she it's helps weird. him get to his car when he's like blacked out, drunk at the restaurant. <laughs> but it is also Sam Shepard, so like as if you wouldn't. Yeah, I like Sam Shepard, but still, it yeah. um, I it could have been briefer. <laughs> I think they're like Pelican get briefer. Denzel and Julia together a little faster. There's a lot of scenes that feel pulled from the book in the way that a John Grisham book which admittedly I have never read, but I assume, has a lot of backroom meetings between side characters that, like, there's so many people who, there's so many, and and there's a lot of, like, government aids that I can't distinguish. And no, I, was nev- I was so confused. There yeah. were so many people, and I'm like, who are, have- I mean, Tony Golden's there. Uh, John Lithgow. Some- John <laughs> Well, he's if isn't he he's the like editor in chief yeah, though, right? With the oh yeah, yeah. But he he is the editor in chief, but he's very like he's acting like he's bad. Also, why is he like he's like come meet me at this place? I'm like, 
Okay, first of all, my editor, like, I don't think they exist outside of their office. Like, I don't know how to get them to where I am. Even that they have um, a big walk and talk through the newsroom and they're talking about suppositions. <laughs> which is... Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've read Crichton. Uh, yeah. But you know how he goes on these, like, um, he sort of has these long chapters about, like, DNA and shit. And, mm. and you're like, oh, fuck, it's so boring. Yeah. Um, but I feel like uh, Grisham's like that with sort of legal, legalese, yeah. probably. Yeah. I haven't read his books either. <laughs> I think I read them. I used to read when I was younger. And I feel like bec- I-, I read them because of the movies. All right. Yeah. Like, I have a memory of The Firm and The Pelican Brief and maybe A Time to Kill. Oh, uh, yeah. Even the third act tracking down the Garcia lawyer who was like his second source and they need to find him, which would mm-hmm. be incredibly easy these days where you could just go to the website and the law firm would have the photo. I know. Guy. I was laughing about that. Yeah. <laughs> they have to like go to his law school and start like it took so long <laughs> to find this guy. And it was kind of fun because Julia's doing some fun journalism stuff and they have their deceits, but it, it, a long movie it's long and i don't think they i don't i don't think they were that great together like i didn't i didn't feel mm. like i wasn't invest like what again when i was younger and stupider i was like oh my god yeah why don't they kiss but now i'm like ah, they ugh, there's no there's nothing here there's nothing between them yeah me too it was weird it was um it felt it felt extremely uh, like shallow in a way that it didn't when I first watched it the first nine billion times. <laughs> so I, d- I think it's be, I wonder if it's because we were paying so much attention um, to, because we're doing this. And I think it doesn't serve films like this to pay too much attention. Oh, sorry. We ruined so many movies for ourselves <laughs> <laughs> by focusing the box office bylines lens on them. Y- yeah. And, and yeah, I feel the same way. I'm like, I mean, they, they, you know, it's not like, if you're not paying too much attention, yeah, the sort of looks and stuff, it's kind of like, ooh, there's a bit of frisson or whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, when you're actually paying attention, you're like, oh, she's pretty standoffish and he's pretty like, let's just do the job. And mm-hmm. I don't know. This would be a good time to talk about the whole kissing, not kissing thing. Yes. Yeah, because I'm also, wondering if want... knowing yeah. that they didn't do that, maybe any other elements they cut back as well of flirtatious stuff or... Well, apparently, so when I was doing the sort of dive into that stuff, uh, into old interviews and things, um, they just, yeah, they just kept pulling it back. Uh, Both Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington, I don't know that Pacula, you know, minded either way, but um, they were just like, we don't need it because you get it through whatever they're doing together. And I guess they, you know, they have fairly okay, like good chemistry it doesn't feel sexual to me. It feels. It no. doesn't. Um, yeah. And the um, the quote that I always read was that Denzel refused because he said black audiences would not accept this relationship. Okay, so I read that too, but then I read an extra bit which sort of changes that, which was oh, interesting that he um, that he thought his audience was. I think he said like primarily or a lot of them were African American women. And mm-hmm. he thought it would be a disservice to interesting be kissing a white woman, but I don't like. I think we're both getting like elements of whatever the reasoning was. I have a little more. Totally, <laughs> and like from twenty five years ago. So apparently, like, dur- you know- during a test screening of 1989's *The Mighty Quinn*, 
there was a love scene between Denzel and Mimi Rogers, mm-hmm. and that tested very poorly. First, Mrs. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Poor <Yeah>. girl. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> from the firm. I knew there was a connection there that I couldn't. <laughs> there you I go. was like, wait, how is he involved in this? Um, that could have just been their chemistry was <laughs> shitty. True. Mm. Um, but he later would tell Newsweek that he decided he didn't want to play into Hollywood beauty ideals and that black women are very rarely presented as objects of desire on film. And that being his core audience, that's something he tried to respect, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like a harsh quote, but if you're Denzel, I think there's something to that of, right. And frankly, I think the movie's better for them not having sex in the novel. They're both white. That's mm-hmm. worth pointing out too. And they get together and here they don't, they just have a nice hug at the end. And a like gentle plane ride, yeah, private plane ride. Because <laughs> if they have, if they kiss or whatever, then she's just this helpless law student who falls in love with whatever powerful man she's around. I mean, she did set that precedent for herself. Yeah, but here she's mourning <laughs> the professor and avenging him. How invested do you think that that Darby actually is in Thomas? He does blow up in front of her. Like, that would be traumatizing for anybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't care what your relationship is. I mean, she's 25. Yeah. I don't know if that relationship's going to last. I don't know <laughs> no, if he's like, going to get sure cirrhosis he... and die <laughs> in the next two years. Like, he replaces that. He replaces a Darby every year. It's like that kind of a thing. It's like the new, the next yeah, crop this of one's different. Students. This one's different. Right, right. <laughs> she's, mat- she's mature. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, as I, like, like, as we were saying about, um, the early, earlier watches, I felt like, oh my God, this is a true love. And and now I watch it and I'm like, what is this? Um, (laughs) but this is also like, we're in a different world now. So we're a lot more, I think I was also, I also noticed a couple of like, you know, the bit where he tries to get a cab and he's wearing a hood and the cab doesn't stop for him. Mm. Um, I noticed that. I also noticed um, when Lithgow says, uh, you know, I would fire you, but I know that you take out a discrimination suit against me. Remember, he says that when they meet, whatever. So those were things that would not have been on my radar when Mm -hmm. I watched it in 93 or whatever. But now they like just like really stand out. Um, I don't know. Did you guys notice stuff like that? The 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 Denzel in the hoodie not getting the cab as he's chasing the source, yeah. which I have to imagine was a note from Denzel. But right. it was such yep. a good moment. <laughs> just like, yeah, the little real touch of being a black journalist in DC probably. Yeah. He was in DC at the or yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. The porno theater killing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Who thought of that? <laughs> Why is this happening? And it's a gay porno, too. It's a gay porno, and Tucci shows up in, I think, like a porn mustache sort of yeah. thing. A black outfit. With, like, a, a full, like, tub of popcorn, which I've not <laughs> seen to a did... gay porno theater, but I didn't know they had the concessions. Also, the which popcorn he... looks so dirty. Did you look it, at it? It looks gross. <laughs> <laughs> and why didn't the gun come out of the popcorn? I was that waiting for better. that. The camera, like, panned to the popcorn bucket. Like, it was so important. And it's like, oh, okay, here's a gun or a knife in there. And then he takes his belt off, which is a rope. <laughs> yeah. And he strangles the guy in, like, half a second. He just, like, grabs it. Guy's dead. And then he hides the belt in the popcorn. <laughs> but also, like, the I don't know if Stanley Tucci is, like, a dancer or what. But 
The elegance with which he removes that belt and how long it takes and the twist around his hand. Yeah. I'm like, it's so beautiful. What is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Tucci in this movie is like something else. Like, I'm a big fan. I think we all probably are. And and I never would have cast him as a murderer, as a serial killer. Um, but he's very, very, very good. Even though I think they kind of have his hair sprayed on. It's like yeah. he was about, he was going bald, but they just tried to deal with it. I do like that the plan to kill the one justice who's already on death's door. Like he's got six months left, but they can't It's literally wait. Hume Cronin. Special <laughs> yeah. appearance by. You see how many, med- like, you know that scene like right before he's killed and they show all the medication in the room? I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Like a full coffee table. Some set dresser <laughs> went nuts that day. Yeah, it's like you can't wait for this man to die on his own. Why? Or kill him in a way that's not a bullet to his brain and the other guy in the room. I know, you literally just have to blow on him and he'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> He's Mr. Burns, just take it, it out, take him out. It felt like that assassin they hire in the simpsons to kill grandpa and he's like got it and then he just bursts in the door with a machine gun (laughs) and then changes his outfit and like jumps a fence to be a jogger at night he had so many costume changes listening he really did he's like running i was like what are these details (laughs) when he died so i just made a movie Mm -hmm. and when he dies he the square in new i believe we're in new orleans People scatter across this whole, like, Grand Parade Square, and then it's fully a helicopter shot, like this, of him getting further and further away, and you just see everyone running away from him. Like, that shot cost as much as my whole movie, and Horner was going ham on the soundtrack. It was like, like, there's so much money in this movie. Okay, you guys, though, why just throwing it away? I still don't understand why he got killed. No, I don't either. I don't know who killed him or why. Yeah, was it Rupert? And was it to like, was it to Who's like, Rupert? I don't <laughs> even know. And was it to to clear the, the like evidence of what he'd been doing? I presume. I thought it was the FBI. It was whoever like helps her at the end, I think. But I don't know who they were or what their stakes were. Or where they were. Or also this... why it's a good were thing they that the they had in a sniper shoot this assassin in broad daylight. <laughs> Yeah, and like splatter him all over Julia Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. Though, he kills, again, I don't know who it was or whatever, like like her law professor's buddy who's going to meet her and kill her. The dad from Home Alone. Yeah. John Hurd. Who was also in yeah. Between the Lines. Yes. He kills and him. also has died. But John Hurd has already told Julia Roberts how much he weighs, so Tucci has to stuff a hotel pillow. <laughs> I plan on losing it. <laughs> Just like what a child does to play an adult. Like just getting a long trench coat. Yeah. yeah, and also the way he looks when he meets her, I'm like, that guy fully looks like he's going to kill murderer. someone. Yeah. He's going to molest someone. He's going to do something. I don't know what that look is. That I, I do not feel comfortable around him. And to your point about the elegance of him taking off the belt... And then him like pulling this gun out is the slowest thing that we that has ever happened. <laughs> yeah. So the camera can catch every second of it, where it's like he would have just, it would have been the quickest move on earth. She never would have seen it coming. But this one he fucks up. I guess he's just like startled by her beauty or something. Why is she wearing braids in that scene? <laughs> yeah, she did that like it was a disguise or like 
like like in an action movie when like the the heroine like pulls her hair up because she's gonna get in a fight. Yeah. It felt like there was supposed to be meaning to that. She's in her bra, too, in a mirror, which was probably Oh, I hate... Ah, I was like, ah, yes. Uh, Directed yeah. by a man. How do you know? I wonder. I mean, and as a woman watching it, I'm like, that bra fits really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really enjoyed that... One of, one of, you know, Eva Holland in that State of Play episode mentioned she liked mm-hmm. that movie because it was, like, real... Journalism turned up to, like, 13... <laughs> Yeah. So it was ridiculous, but you can enjoy it. And I did enjoy her tracking Denzel down at his isolated cabin, just like stumbling <laughs> through the forest. It's Darby! <laughs> <laughs> I know! I'm like, sometimes she's really good at hiding details, and sometimes she's just screaming her whole name into the air. Yeah. And I like the way he's like, how did you know I have a sister? Like, that's so impossible to find out about someone. I'm like, I mean, there's like... Like, kind of a 25% likelihood that you have a sister, to be honest, <laughs> named Mary. Um, yeah, I My favorite part was the, um, we see the guy plant the bomb in his car, and then they go <laughs> oh and they're having God. a conversation, and he keeps, like, almost yeah. starting the car, <laughs> and then it's like, <sighs> she's like, oh, God! Wait a minute, look at run. this sentence. Yeah. And then and then they get chased around the parking garage and that guy skids into the original bombed car. That confused me because so I it thought explodes. they were like way... I was... I didn't realize that's what happened. They just did a loop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I yeah. Mean... And the lady... I like that there was a lady assassin. You know, no lines. Her one mm-hmm. line was off screen to the point where she's like... With like the, it's like when she's in the, getting the deposit box and... And the woman comes in. She's like, I would like to get a deposit back. She's like, just take a seat. I'm like, why did that just happen? Because they didn't cut to her being like nefariously sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's the real Molly Johnson or whoever the box belonged to. And um, no, she was an assassin. I like that for her. That I also nice. love Julia Roberts. Okay, so I was paying a lot of attention to how Julia Roberts was acting in this. And I love how much she like mugs for the camera. So like the part where she, um, where the woman's asking her all the details to get into the security box and she's like, oh, I have the information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I do know his social security. Yes, 510. Yeah. <laughs> Which, wouldn't the bank just want to see a photo ID? Yeah, I don't know. I think we, we just needed to know how meticulous and good she was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Julia, you know, I my I've really come around on Julia Roberts as an actor, like across time and as a personality. But I don't think she's that great a dramatic actress. Like, mm. um, she did Mary Riley after Pretty Woman, which was like a sad. Mary Riley wrote Frankenstein. No, Mary Riley did something. Oh, she's like she's she a sad Irish lady, the housekeeper or something. Sorry, I was yeah, about to sneeze. Yeah, uh, she's like <laughs> allergy she... season. Mr. Miss Dr. Jekyll's housekeeper, isn't it? Something. Yeah, I knew Frankenstein was involved. Just like, wait, no, Frankenstein's not involved. <laughs> I don't think he shows up. You're doing like a universe, a, a dark, universe. U- the universal dark universe. Anyway, that movie's not good. She's not necessarily great at drama, but she's very good at being like. Although I do, I do love what's the what's the um, one where she flees her abusive husband. Uh, That's sleeping a good with one. the enemy, the greatest movie yes. that was ever made. Another movie that I was scared when I saw it, and then as an adult, I'm like, "This is fucking ridiculous." <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're gonna flush your wedding ring, make sure it goes all the way down the toilet. That was her undoing. Yeah. Um, also, you're going in the ocean. Just drop it there. 
Um, anyway, so, so yeah, I think I understand why she would have done this film and I understand why they would have wanted her in it, but I don't know that she was exactly the right person. Grisham wrote it with her in mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, the book. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The so, power. Which would have been, so this was 93. I'm assuming he wrote the book late 91. Yeah. Like after, <laughs> after seeing Pretty churns Woman. churns these things out. So yeah, it was it, <laughs> when did Pretty Woman was 91? 90 or 91, yeah. So yeah. So that's what he was writing for. This was also her first movie back after like her hiatus. This. I remember her hiatus because I remember people being like, "Where did she go?" I'm like, "Let her go for five minutes." Jesus I Christ. I I have on this show talked about my movie idea that I have that I want to write about Julia Roberts' two lost years in Ireland. She was in Ireland. Yeah, she Which, fled. She fled. Tara, the why nation. don't you recap? Julia's lost period. So she um, she was engaged to Kiefer Sutherland and called it off and ran away to Ireland with his best friend, Jason Patrick. Oh, and then yeah. just, and just lived over there f- until she came back. <laughs> Cobbling shoes. But when did the That's love, right. love it thing happen? Later. That was during this she, movie. Because she was during this. Yeah, well, they were already married when they were filming this. Yeah, he was on the other end of the... Did you read yes. that trivia? <laughs> yeah. He was on the other end of the phone when she's talking to John Hurd. That was Lyle Lovett talking to him. Oh, that's kind of cute. Yeah. She didn't Although recognize it's it not like... cute that she didn't recognize his voice. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, don't marry And Lyle Lovett, I, I mean, I, maybe his speaking voice is different, but pretty recognizable. <laughs> yeah. I think I would time... know if I was talking to Lyle Lovett on the phone. Yeah, no kidding. Do you remember at the time how everyone was like, he's so unattractive? <laughs> It's so mean. It's like, why did she marry this Ugo? He's sexy in a weird way. (laughs) (laughs) But wasn't it more that they got married after nine days or something? Yeah, she had like a... I think it was a few things. Her love life was kind of all over the place, I feel like. Also, what was her real love life? I don't know. Because it's whatever we were seeing. But yeah, it's weird. This movie, like, it's funny that this movie was on the list because it, like, it honestly doesn't really seem like a journalism movie much. Like, does he ever write a word down? There's that point where he goes to her the first time they meet when she looks her most beautiful in this movie. I feel like when she's got her hair in the bun and she's just wearing that sweater. Mm. I'm, like, obsessed with how she looks in that scene. Because Julia (laughs) Roberts normally has, like, a whole mess of hair and everything. But her face is really beautiful. So this is really not an important point. But... I just noticed in the scene. Um, but yeah, so he comes in. She she tells him, like, from A to Z what the Pelican Brief is. And then he's like, I'm going to write the notes while they're fresh in my head mm-hmm. after. Presumably, he's not going to transcribe it. He's just <laughs> taking notes. And then I'm like, okay, but are you writing like i don't know what's happening how are you writing the story <laughs> and he wrote it on the like notepads in the hotel room that they provide oh, remember that remember that little like thing and it's the most simple little gradation oh i love of... that yeah yeah <laughs> where someone's it's like, where it's like assassin white and then house. you circle it and you point up and write white house or something <laughs> it's like yeah that's a like, thought process <laughs> yeah. i also thought it was strange how the the whole the whole thing behind it so like i feel like we should recap if people even care but like the fact was those two justices were being removed because they were environmentalists which is mm-hmm. very 2021 mm-hmm. um because they were environmentalists and there was a, a very very rich man who was an oil baron of some kind mm-hmm. and he wanted to go 
dig into like some of the some reserve the pelican that's why it's the pelican brief um and he was one of the people who was funding the president Mm -hmm. or one of his biggest funders or something and so they had to take out those two guys because they were against one of the biggest funders is that how it how it was but anyway the point is that like even though i can't explain it it was relatively simple um, but they were acting like the FBI and like all the great minds of the world couldn't figure out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That this one little idiot in, in Maryland or wherever she lived. Um, Cause it was all yeah, buried in like shell companies suing nonprofits. And, but literally like, there was a PBS documentary. About fashion... it. Yeah. Remember when Tony Goldwyn goes, fuck PBS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> That um, felt yeah, like a she... true-to-life journalism moment where you have this big scoop story and, like, yeah, someone's already written it a couple of years ago, just no one noticed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. It's in, like, Parade magazine yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> During culture, it's always in Parade. Um, no, but, yeah, the way she's like, what if it's just good old-fashioned greed? I'm like, it's always good old-fashioned greed. Yeah, like... it's not just. Yeah. <laughs> if it goes to the president, there's usually just a lot of money involved. Yeah. Did it need to go all the way to the president? That's my question. I'm not entirely clear he knew about it. <laughs> like, he, he was getting he the was money, evil. but did, was he involved in the assassinations? No, I feel like he was getting, like, shitloads of money from that guy. And then he's like, he's like, I don't care where this money's coming from. Right. And then it turns out it's all nefarious. And he's like, oh, fuck, I still need the money, though. And I don't want anyone to know I'm involved. Like, I'm not really involved. In it. It's kind of like he's one of the, he's like, I don't want to know. Right. I feel like kind of guy but he also seemed in a way i didn't notice before very very stupid <laughs> there's a little subplot of him training his dog which is fun <laughs> roll over yeah <laughs> yeah one of the many things that could have been cut and there's the me. secret room yeah. of all the videotape equipment in the oval office i think they tried to make this a very watergate throwback but mm-hmm. which probably is why Pacula, Pacula was I signed up. But... <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, it is very funny that it, it's sort of, when you actually sort of reduce the plot, it's literally, there's one guy who knew this thing and that undid the whole thing. But that's every... Which is the plot of every Grisham. And Crichton, yeah, every like Grisham. all of those yeah. like pulp airport sort of writers, it's like, yeah, it's just they find like, like Crichton would read some new scientific paper and then just spin that into a 200 page sci-fi techno thriller yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of intricate plot work and grisham there's no dinosaurs so people think it's smarter but (laughs) i don't know if you guys noticed the big protests in front of the supreme court (laughs) where every conceivable protester is joined together in one like dream protest (laughs) Like abortion, abortion is murder signs next to like protect the <laughs> pelicans. <laughs> that was that As, was kind like of the point where Washington has the bouncing gun. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like protest or like like whatever they are. It's angry people. Yeah, idealistic Americans wanting more. That was fun. Also, I couldn't. I, I didn't know before, and I couldn't. It's funny that I never questioned this when I initially watched it. But the kind of luxury hotels that she's staying in, I'm just like, how the 
F does a student afford this? And then at one point she says it's some money that her father left her. And I was like, oh, classic. Was he the oil baron? Because I don't understand. (laughs) I know. It's like if you're on the run, you need to be in dirtbag motels with no paper trail. But that's where she starts. She goes to like a sort of motel, doesn't she? And then they track her through a credit card. And so she somehow keeps going to better hotels with cash only. Yeah. It was a different time. I guess. <laughs> um, all right. Why don't we take a break and talk more trivia when we come back? I'm excited. When we substitute a threat for an argument, violence for principle, we allow our passion to overcome our capacity for reason. Passion and self-interest are threats to liberty, which brings us to Bowers against Hardwick. A police officer entered Mr. Hardwick's apartment ostensibly to serve him with a warrant for an unpaid violation for drinking in public. They caught him with an open bottle of beer. When he entered Mr. Hardwick's bedroom, he coincidentally found him in bed with another man. The officer arrested Hardwick for violating Georgia's statute, which outlaws sodomy. Now, even though Georgia dropped the case, Hardwick brought suit to challenge the constitutionality of the statute. Now, what was his claim? That it violates his right of privacy. Why? Because it's Hardwick's home. He's got a right to do as he pleases there. But what if he decided to sell drugs at his home or engage in child abuse in his home? Yeah. Because those actions don't fit within the right of privacy. The court, beginning with Griswold, has limited the right of privacy to actions which are intimate, which are deeply personal, actions which allow us to control our lives, to define who we are. Yeah, but how is that a constitutional claim? There's no right to define oneself written into the Constitution. There's not even a right of privacy in the Bill of Rights. If the state of Georgia can regulate Hardwick's sexuality engaged in private with consenting adults, Hardwick cannot be free. The Constitution was written to ensure limited government. If there's no right of privacy, if Georgia can enforce the statute, we sacrifice the liberty the framers thought they guaranteed us. Well, the Supreme Court disagreed with you, Ms. Shaw. They found that the statute did not violate the right of privacy. Now, why is that? Because they're wrong. (laughs) Welcome back to Box Office Bylines, where this week we are really reassessing the Pelican Brief, the crown jewel of the Grisham Empire, do we think? I think A Time to Kill is much better. Yeah. I've never seen the first. But I I love Bullock, so yeah. I did watch The Um, Lincoln Lawyer. Wasn't that him? Too. Oh, that's oh, the Lincoln Lawyer. Movie. Yeah. And then there's one with Tommy Lee Jones. What's that one? I don't know. One second. Look it up. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. We're just going to wait. Talk. Okay. <laughs> um, worth noting, I believe, Tara, um, certainly for this podcast, but the first black protagonist in a journalism movie we've watched. And one oh, of the wow. few times I think that exists at all in the genre. Uh... And apparently, uh, well, you probably know this, um, but uh, Denzel Washington was studying journalism at Fordham. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. He studied it for briefly and then went into, I think he was a little bit like he wasn't sure what he was going to do, but yeah, he did. He did some journalism. Now I really want to read Denzel Washington's journalism 1001, like weekly assignment stories. (laughs) Yeah, or like his time with Bob Woodward, like what did he write down? Yeah. Okay, here are the options, okay? The Firm, this movie, The Client, which was Susan Sarandon and Tommy Lee Jones, 
A Time to Kill with Bullock, McConaughey, and Samuel L. Jackson. The Chamber was the one I was thinking of with Chris O'Donnell. Remember him? (laughs) And Gene Hackman. Mm -hmm. And The Rainmaker, which I believe was another Tommy Lee Jones banger. One sec. Nope. DeVito and Matt Damon. Danny DeVito was like top bill. (laughs) Yeah, and Claire Danes is the love interest. And Claire Danes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I then would watch um, that. The, yeah. And then Runaway Jury and the Gingerbread Man, which is a Kenneth Branagh lead role, and Robert Downey Jr. and it looked like Sean Penn. And then the last one looks to be he has a writing credit on Christmas with the Cranks because he wrote the novel <laughs> Skipping Christmas. Well, that's the winner then. Uh yeah, but it's been a while for Grisham, probably because he's just taking naps on his piles of money. Can I say I hate all of the Grisham titles? They're oh, bad. Me too. They're like bad. he just picks a phrase that he thinks is funny, and then. <laughs> well, at least the Pelican Brief was like there was a reason it was called that. Yeah, that's the most interestingly named one, and like a time to confusing. die, I think is the best. Time Even to kill. Time, time to, to kill. kill. Sorry. Time to die is the Bond movie. <laughs> I was going to say that's like a fandom. <laughs> um, yeah, time to kill. I don't know. I don't know. I really fell for Grisham in the 90s, I feel like. We Everyone did. did. Everyone truly did. Jacob is right. It was the Marvel Cinematic Universe of its time. They shared characters. There's a character in this mm-hmm. that's in The Firm, too. There you go. It's Which all one, one universe. Yeah, which one? I don't know. Hit us with the trivia. I believe the FBI director. It's a different actor, but same character. Okay, I feel like since this is a journalism podcast, we need to like actually pretend that we're looking at the journalism part. I have a question. Sure. Yeah. Um, the part where, um, you know, they get the the suicide tape by Curtis Morgan. Right. um, Yeah. And uh, they sit in a in a boardroom, and they're all watching it. Okay, so my question about that is, is that, do you think that's for protective purposes? Like, we need a number of people to be witnessing this. Or do you think that's just like, I don't know, what do you think the reason was for them doing that? Because I'm trying to think in like actuality, seriously, if I got that tape, I would run home and watch it myself. Just to be like, what the hell is on this? This is like all I've been looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would save it for... Um, it felt like a movie thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, let's all watch it at once. Saves time. But I guess <laughs> we can all be maybe at legally once. because like VHS tapes were easy to tape over. <laughs> You'd want to bring it somewhere. <laughs> it's like the ring. And to be fair, like everyone's trying to kill them everywhere they go. So you might as well just yes. get to the office and start writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone is trying to kill them a lot, but they're always on to them. Yeah. It doesn't take them long to, to pick that up. Um, what... Speaking of the journalism, uh, editor John Lithgow, Lithgow <laughs> very much thinks like you can't publish this story with just Darby Shaw as your single source. Mm-hmm. Even though I would assume she had maybe a copy of the brief or everything that was in the brief could be independently verified, all the fundraising and the legal stuff. Yeah, Did what that... was the thing he said? He's like, your, your suppositions are based on suppositions or something. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're supposed to prove those. Um, yeah. But then he's like, but it's cool. Like, I'll fund it. <laughs> I don't know. 
like, I want you to know it's wrong. However, mm-hmm. it's fine. How much? And even the headline, the headline on that final story is like so bad. It's like assassination attempt uncovered. Assassination of who? The justices. I know, but it's like. And it wasn't an attempt. Full... It was successful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're very dead. Yeah, they killed um, those guys. Yeah, it was also like broken up into like 500. Like, I like the part where he's being interviewed on that TV show and mm. um, they're like, the story just won't stop giving. Like, there's just <laughs> yeah. so many stories coming out of the story. And I'm like, really? We didn't. I'm not seeing any of it. I'm seeing swelling music, but. And I, people I, think I... he made Darby up. Yeah. Which was weird. I feel like that was a part that they cut out. I think they just wanted like, to conflate her with Deep Throat. And, yeah. But, like, that was Pacula again, probably trying to really exists. tie it like, back. You could go yeah. to the law school. Yeah. And... I was going to say, like, she was all over. She wasn't hiding. Yeah. She was... No. <laughs> she wasn't using a fake name. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, she... Yeah. Cynthia Nixon could have been like, I know her. <laughs> That would have been great to have that. One more line for Cynthia. You know, sometimes at the end of the movie where you see like the montage of different TV interviews with whatever random mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. To have Cynthia Nixon be like, yeah, we hung out at the same weird bar slash laundromat in New Orleans. <laughs> She's in Mexico. Do you want to know where? <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Okay. I also found it. <clears throat> I also found it weird that there was a laundromat in that bar. So did I. <laughs> well... There's one in Moncton. Apparently, it's a like famous bar in New Orleans. But oh. for any of us who haven't been there, to have the raucous bar suddenly have a laundromat <laughs> in the back room was a weird yeah. little moment. I also love, love, love how Julia Roberts is like being really like this is so like the way women behave. But the way she's she's like literally gonna die, and she's being polite to a guy who's sexually harassing her. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. When she's sitting there in her, like, with the hat and all that stuff. And it's like, he's like, you're the prettiest person in the bar. It's like, how do you fucking know? You can't even see your face. (laughs) And she's, like, there in her, like, mechanics overalls or whatever. I'm just like, why are you hitting on this person? (laughs) I also love in these kind of movies where people, like, so obviously she has to, like, look better if she's meeting with, like, a, a law firm for oil companies. But I'm like, okay, how did she do her hair like that? It looks amazing. Uh, what know. is the suit <laughs> that she has found <laughs> somewhere <laughs> that fits perfectly? Yeah, like all the sort of like accoutrement that you require to, yeah. That was a missing scene where Denzel files all his expenses to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, the fancy hotel Chanel. rooms, the, the yeah. power suits. Boutique. Yeah. Um. All right, some trivia. Filmed in sequence. That never happens. No. And odd, considering it jumped around. It can't have been filmed in sequence, because it went back and forth from New York and New Orleans and Washington. They wouldn't have... That, that's but in But maybe sequence, still in it? order. Maybe still in order. Yes. All right. Maybe they had three crews going at once. <laughs> uh, for the scenes inside the White House, the sets created for Dave from 1993 were used. Remember that one? Oh, Kevin Klein. Yeah. Yeah. As a fun president. Um, yeah, as Soraya mentioned, Grisham wrote the part of Darby Shaw with Julia Roberts in mind. Roberts read the book once it was finished and agreed to the role without even seeing a script. Well, that was her first mistake, wasn't it? <laughs> they do that. Uh, I've been listening to Entertainment Weekly's Fast and Furious podcast series. 
Of course you have. Which are like... <laughs> <laughs> Jacob loves the, the Fast and Furious fam. It's like 90 minutes per episode about each movie with it, the stars. They're so long. And the Vin Diesel one about the first movie, he talks about how he was like grew up in an artist's house and he didn't want to do like big picture studio schlock. And he met with the producers and they described how in one scene the camera would zoom in on his face and then pan down his arm to the gear shift and then go into the car's to see the engine and the pistons firing and he was like yes i'm in and then a few months later he was in australia doing press for chronicles of riddick or pitch black whatever and he actually saw the script for the first time and he was like oh no <laughs> and he tried to get out of it the, i mean i don't i haven't seen like i tried to watch one of those movies and i remember i stopped watching because there's two people like walking down a hill and there's like a, a sandwich shop called Sandwich Shop. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no one's putting time into the script. <laughs> Darby and her professor lover at the beginning, before we know their lovers, discuss Bowers versus Hardwick, a real Supreme Court case that ultimately upheld a state's right to make homosexual activity illegal. Uh, Darby passionately argues that that case is wrong. The Supreme Court was wrong. In 2003, the Supreme Court agreed with her ruling in Lawrence versus Texas that such laws were unconstitutional. Huh. I do think it's it's a dumb line when she goes, because they're wrong. Yeah. Why doesn't she say because they're unconstitutional or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, Denzel spent time at the Washington Post learning from its editors and reporters. Julia Roberts spent time at Tulane Law School to prepare for her role attending classes. And several of the students seen during the classroom scene are actual law students from the class of 1994. Imagine you're just some idiot law student and you turn around one day and there's the biggest movie star in the world just sitting in the back. Mm. I, also I also think it's hilarious when you hear the research people do and how much they don't need to do the research. A hundred percent. Always. Yeah. That did not factor into the role at all. No. Uh, you mentioned James Horner's score, Tara. Did you recognize it? and dominant. <laughs> Did you recognize no, I... the chaotic piano track? Because he reused it a few years later in Apollo 13. I hated Apollo 13. I found it, like, so boring. So I don't have any memories of it. Okay. <laughs> but that's bullshit. James Horner gets paid a lot of money. He should not be recycling music. He might be dead now, Which too. Part? But Horner... No, I don't think he is. Doesn't this he do no, all of Nolan stuff? So maybe I don't watch I don't watch Nolan things. I don't know. I don't, oh God, I'm not. Don't get me started on on him. But um, <laughs> no, this reminds me of like you know when you see when there's people who are like career lecture circuit people, they're <laughs> always recycling all their lectures. Yeah. it's such a hack. It's up. bullshit, but it's smart. I mean, yeah. and it's smart. Yeah, I mean, this was a big movie though. It made a lot of money. People saw it. Yeah, this was huge. Yeah. Uh, Roberts won the Best Actress Oscar in 2000 for Erin Brockovich, which was presented to her by her co-star in this film, uh, Denzel... Wait, no. I got that wrong. 2001, <laughs> like, wait, do you the not following know year, <laughs> Denzel wins Best Actor for Training Day, and she presented the Oscar to him. They right, because the previous stage. year's winner does that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he that's not the right Oscar for Denzel. No. That, no. Was a, that was an oops. That was a whoops, we missed it. There's one thing about the Oscars. They always get it right eventually. <laughs> <laughs> What's crazy is I always forget like how early he actually did get 
I think he got, didn't he get an Oscar, a supporting Oscar for, mm-hmm. was it Glory? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. like he just, out of the gate, he was like getting awards. And yeah. so it was funny that, because um, apparently Julia Roberts was right, the one who suggested him for this role. And it's kind of presented as a bit of an out of left field choice, but I'm just like, the only thing out of left field is that he's not white. Like there's nothing yeah. else that's mm-hmm. really out of left field about it. He was like an up and coming uh, yeah, he was like a full-on leading man. Yeah. Dramatic. Yeah, award winner. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's interesting nowadays and like how white the entire rest of the movie is. Still, most movies are still well, it's like white. Now, yeah. if, you, if you did that now, it would be some weird meta commentary that like everyone else in Washington and all the upper echelon offices are just interchangeable white guys in blue shirts and the only people who really stand out of and in any way are julia roberts and denzel washington everyone else is literally it could be tucci like just like put a different wig on them (laughs) and shoot the scene multiple times because yeah i don't remember who anyone really is or what their relations are to each other but in the 90s that was like we were supposed to know who all those people were and keep track of that it's pretty stacked too, like with quite known faces. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of funny that they all did it because they have like they're just like making like witty asides and stuff. Yeah. And... <laughs> For two scenes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it was filmed with Panavision E series anamorphic lenses that the film inherited. <laughs> From Natural Born Killers, after that film's director, oh. Oliver Stone, decided to shoot in standard 1.85 instead. Hmm. There you go. Did did this particular film need those lenses? I don't know. Mm. That helicopter <laughs> pretty shot. Pretty pedestrian. Yeah. The <laughs> helicopter. That was the one that like they show at the producer's house to all your friends to be like, look yeah. at what I'm doing. It did look cool, but it went on forever, and it was like not worth it. No. <laughs> <laughs> How much, like... Also, why didn't anyone help him? Like, 35% of the budget went to all of Tucci's scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird that everyone, like, ran away. Like, not one person was like, shit. (laughs) But I guess if there's a shooting and you don't know where it's coming from, you wouldn't run to it. Or that she didn't run away. Yeah, she was like, oh, no, not this again. Not this guy I just met. (laughs) It's like that car explosion all over again. Yeah. Uh, finally, Paul Rudd named his daughter after Julia Roberts' character, Darby. I couldn't confirm that when I saw okay. that. <laughs> Citation needed. It's, it's a good name. I like it. Yeah, it is. Darby Rudd. That's a good name. I don't know if that's, that's an actor's. Name. That's an that's an actor's name. <laughs> okay. Uh, Soraya, anything you'd like to plug or let people know where to find you? Um. Oh, God, I hate this part. I don't know. I'm just sort of writing all over the place, writing for Defector, writing for, um, you know, doing a bunch of freelancing in between doing the, the book proposal. But other than that, um, I'm also editing Pipe Wrench. Actually, that's something I should plug, Pipe Wrench, uh, the, the online magazine that um, a friend of mine, Michelle Weber and Catherine Cusick both launched, and I'm the editor at large for it um but we're all sort of it's at the beginning stages and we have two issues now and it's um it's a long form piece that has a constellation of responses built in 
um, which I thought was a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, and then the latest issue I did one of the responses. It's it's about um, pigeon fancying in South Central. So um, yeah, it's that's pretty exciting. And other than that, just waiting for everything to reopen completely in Toronto, which is taking forever. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of it, I think. Nice. Cool. Tara, anything? Tideline? Tideline, usual stuff. Usual stuff. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, people can find you, Tara, at Thorny HFX, and they can find me at RWJ Boone. Soraya, you're on Twitter. Yeah, it's just my name. Okay. <laughs> and they <laughs> can follow the show if they'd like, at Box Bylines. Um, and that's it. And I don't know what we're doing next week, but we'll do something fun again. Thank you very much, Soraya, for doing this. It was Thanks fun for having to you. me. Thanks so much. And what do I say, Tara? <laughs> never Til I can never time. find it. <laughs> May your jewels always be rich. There you go. Thanks, everybody. Bye.